Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. This time around, we dive right back into your Reddit questions. We talk about gameplay momentum, how to play a bard, and combining like spells. All right, Jim, we are back again. It's Reddit time. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back at it. Go ahead. There it is. We're back at it. Ladies and gentlemen, D&D 420. I'm sure you read the title. We're answering Reddit. That's right. R slash D&D. They've got questions. Our grand tormentor, Jimmy St. James, has the answers. And we're just going to dive right in to the very first question. This comes from Reddit user Solalabel. 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 Fifth edition. I recently started a one-shot from the internet with three players, all brand new, and they've taken several hours over two sessions to get through four rooms, which I feel like should have taken maybe ten minutes or so. Am I expecting to fast play, or are they going slower than experienced players would? Or what? Hmm. So moving slowly. Okay. It's a. Here's so. Let me just say what I want to say. You say what you want to say because I got I got several responses for this guy. All right. So they they uh, they mentioned several hours. So when you say say four hours or did he say several? Several several hours. Several hours. Two sessions. To get through four rooms. So to me, the time is eight hours. That's eight hours. Or eight six. hours. Yeah, so four maybe, and four. Yeah, maybe maybe it was six or five. We don't know. Four and four. This is what I'm thinking. It's four and four. We'll say two it sessions. is four and four. Yeah. So two hours for two rooms. Then two I mean, more hours for two more rooms. But if there's things going on. Ish. So that's what I so what's going on here? Because if 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 the if the user is saying that it should only take in ten minutes and they're taking two hours per room, it sounds like the DM is doing their job and in creating things to look at in said rooms. Okay. That is a part of one of my responses. First thing I wanna say is I have a lot of questions for you. How long have you been playing? Have you DM'd before? How much have you DM'd before? Have you DM'd with a lot of different people of varying degrees of um, of experience? Because that's going to tell us a lot. Then we start the question answers itself if that guy had given us or this person had given us adequate information. But they haven't. So sure. we're left to assume it's about eight hours because most sessions are you know, between three and four hours. Right. We're left to assume that he's an experienced DM because he says at one point, I think it should have taken X amount of time, 10 minutes. So we're assuming these things to be true. And the first, just right up front, we're just assuming these things to be true, which they may not be. And it sounds to me like more than likely there's a disconnect here anyway. Maybe he's never taught new players before because two things happens when you bring new players on one first and foremost the obvious uh, they don't know how to play so you're teaching them how to play right while lots you're of hand holding yeah. lots you are basically giving them the decisions that they need to make when they need to make it 
if you're doing it right. And it's going to take a lot. I just recently ran a game that you were a part of. And thank you very much for helping me teach some new players where, you know, these new players came in and they didn't know what to expect. So we did the opposite. We burned through encounters, didn't we? Yes. Because they didn't know to stop and talk to one another. They didn't know when to investigate, even though we prompted them a couple of times. Um, you know, they're just getting their feet in the stirrups. They're just getting their, their you know, their their hands wet or whatever. I don't know what to say. Whatever, insert feet whatever wet? saying. What? Feet wet. Dang yeah. on it. Jeez, Jim. I don't <laughs> know. I'm high. So anyway, please smoke responsibly. Anyway. Please. Um, so you're going to be teaching them. So that's going to really exponentially add to the length of the game in the first place. Um, second of all, every group is different. I play with a, you know, a lot of people. I have about 30 people that I play with on a semi-regular to very regular basis. And I can tell you that there's several types of players. There are the players who want to role play at every interesting situation there are players that want to ask questions every possible chance they get about their right. surroundings, about what they can and can't do. And there are players who um, want to look things up as well. Your group definitely is going to fall into that um, if they're first-time players. So if they have a preconceived idea about the game, especially they may be just trying to look in every nook and cranny and ask every question that they can because they have it in their head that that's what you do. And where did they get that? I don't know. So there's a couple of things at play here. One, um, the players. Two is you, the DM. You're the other thing at play that, you know, you allow that to happen. You might have expected something, but how often as DMs do we say, Eric, uh, I, this is two more sessions and we're out. And then the like my Monday night game recently, two sessions ago, they decided to go on a pub crawl and take a break. Five hours worth of gameplay turned into six hours or five hours in game turned to six hours of gameplay. Two right. sessions. And we're no further than we were when I said it was going to be two more sessions in the first place. So, you know, some of the onus falls on you as a DM. You know, you allowed it to happen. You answered their questions. You fed into whatever it was that made it take a long time as well. So take a look in the mirror as well. Um, la, 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 la. What? No, that's not right. <clears throat> Follow so la, 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 bell. So la, la, bell. So la, 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 bell. Next yeah, question. I mean, yeah, I agree. I think that's... Uh... That's cool, a, though. I mean, I'm, that's awesome that they're taking their time. Because usually it's the opposite. That's what I keep thinking is like usually it's the opposite where you have this grand thing that you want to talk about and show and they just drive on by. Yeah. And you're like, so, oh, no, come look. And you're like, yeah, that's great. That has nothing to do with what we're doing. We're going this way. It's like, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's right. You're going this way. And what you need to do is cultivate the game that you want with them. And right. as the dungeon master, you're in the unique position of being able to dictate a pace um, and have them keep up with it. You can always throw stuff in and rush them along. It's not that difficult to do. You know, you don't want to do too much of that, of course. Right. But um, they're also helping to dictate that pace by asking questions or checking right. things out. When you allow them to do so, 
you're not really taking control of the pace and adding in encounters when you want them or right what they have are you. yes so yep all right our next question comes from reddit user some new nyc'er one two three so i'm assuming that they're just new to the new york city and they're um one two three that's i don't that's whatever i hope all you right. like it i don't i don't know i've never I've been, never to, been new to new york yeah, yeah me neither fifth edition are cool combination of phantasmal force and moonbeam possible i want to do something my teammate i'm oh, sorry i want to do something my teammates cast moonbeam and i cast some sort of phantasmal force on a creature to make the move into it again Eat, uh, for example making it look like healing rays or gold or something is something like this possible mm. yeah what's i mean sure it's possible uh, as a DM, I can say that when spells overlap, which is basic kind of what's happening here, you're having overlapping yeah, a little spells. Because well, one's a mind-affecting spell, and it causes that person to see. However, if they've already been injured by the moonbeam, um, they kind of know it's there and know what it is. That's a distinct, a distinct thing to get hit by this beam of light that sears your flesh. And then to be like, oh, there's just gold over there where I got my flesh seared. Right. <laughs> hey, I'm going to give them advantage on that um, investigation to see if they if they take the investigation. Yeah. Um, to see if they um, pass that check. Personally, I will. Your DM may not. Um, but it's very possible. And the thing is, it might be more interesting or more more useful to cast that phantasmal image or that phantasmal force as something near the moonbeam where they have to make a decision do they want to jump in this phantasmal fire that you've created this or, or like, go over here yeah or go over here that might be a more distinct choice especially if it's a creature that has um uh susceptibility to a to something that you can put over there so you know but that's only going to do 1d6 damage with the phantasmal force and that is psychic damage. So if they decide to suffer the slings and arrows of your your phantasm, it's going to be a lot less damage, more than likely, than what they might have felt inside that moonbeam. I think it's like roughly half the damage. I think it's 2d6s. I can't remember. Um, I'm high. But yeah, man, that's totally possible. Is it, uh, is it useful? Maybe? So that's my question. So like how... <laughs> Because, like you were saying, like the the spells are so wildly different. Um, I feel like from end to end that like what's the purpose? Does this play into the story? Does this play into one of the are characters' they, backgrounds? Yeah, are they or? shapeshifters? Do you really right. want them in the moonbeam, or are you saying it like, oh, you know, or if it were a wall of fire, or if it were this um, ice storm effect, or what have you? Or is it that you specifically want them in this moonbeam because they're shapeshifters? Um, so the thing is, um, moonbeam does 2d10 radiant damage, um, and a, a, a shapechanger fails their saving throw. Uh, shapechangers have to make it at disadvantage, first of all, and if they fail, they also instantly revert to their original form. So the, but the, pro, the thing is... Um, the next turn, that character can move their moonbeam back onto the creature in question anyway. Right. 
follows them. So if you're saying, I want to do this in order to free up that person's action, you've just used your action to free up that person's action. So, eh, is it useful? I mean, it depends. Is that your only spell left? Is this, is this, uh, phantasmal, uh, force? See, that's that, why I'm thinking like it's, left? I feel like that's why it's story driven. Like it's character driven. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not just something that the, the players are doing. It's like, this is a very specific combination of spells that they're trying to put together to see if it's possible because it has some greater effect that isn't mentioned in the question there. Well, there won't be any greater effect. Um, they're just talking about using a second level spell to lure something into a second level spell. Yeah. So sure. I don't see why not. It's not that big of a deal. All you're doing is in essence, using your action to free up that other player's next action, which honestly your action sooner is more valuable than their action later. So, uh, if that's all you mm -hmm. got, it's okay. But I can't think of any reason why that would be um, like a multiplier or doubly beneficial or anything. Right. Yeah. Sure. That'll be my answer. Why not? You know sure. what, Jim? You know what, Jim? Why not? Why not? Go yeah, for man. it. You know what? Just, that's uh, what you got. Just go for it. Just go, go streaking through the mall. Just go for it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, that, I, that's I always say that. Why, but, yeah, that's that's actually one of your mantras. Let's go streaking through the mall. Why not? Well, All right, not, this next question is not the mall. Oh, well, I mean, that's not the cool place now. to be anymore, old man. Yeah, I was gonna say if you go in the morning with the mall walkers, oh, man, that top floor is crowded. <laughs> All right, this next question uh, question comes from Homeski 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 Panda Homeski Panda Homeski Panda. And right, I Panda. picked this question specifically for you. Oh, okay. And you'll know why in a second, because I've never played this class. Okay. How do you play a bard? <laughs> I've read the player's handbook about them both, 3, 3.5 and 5th edition, but I just can't wrap my head around them as a class slash personality slash player. Jim, how do you play a bard? <laughs> Is it like, how does one play a bard, or how do I play a bard? I'm assuming it's how do you play a bard effectively okay. in a group setting with other classes that do not match yours. Okay, well, bard is, in my opinion, one of the most fun classes to play. And how do, do tell. How do I play it? Um, and there's also, you know, how do other people play it? So I'll kind of hit both because there's a stereotypical way to play a bard. Um, and there's also kind of, an, like you said, an effective way to play a bard that's not as silly. Bard has the most stereotype around it. Overall, I think. More, more so than a barbarian not being able to read. More so than your fighter being tough. Than your rogue right. being a lying thief or scoundrel. We're talking we're, about tropes. Yeah, we're talking about these tropes here. And Bard yeah. has it as strong as any of them that they are seducers, that they are cock strong and, and sure of themselves or arrogant. So I don't care for that. 
I think that's a very stereotypical way to look at a bard. A bard is so versatile, so useful. It's as versatile and fun as a rogue, in my opinion. Mm. It's just a different version of a rogue where you can do things that are more magical and more supportive. So you just basically are sacrificing. You're both kind of of jack-of-all-trades, got lots of skills, lots of things that you can do that are um, toolboxy. But instead of that um, sneak attack ability, you have your magical abilities and your music, uh, music and magic. Now, those things give you your abilities. That's all flavor. Okay, so if we talk about how do you effectively play a bard, you take a variety of spells. Don't lean in one direction. Um, the bard list is somewhat limited already. Do not limit yourself further by choosing similar spells if you can help it. Um, I mean, between levels and everything, just because you took Charm Person at a lower level, um, or Friends as your uh, your cantrip doesn't mean you need Charm Person. You know, Think about that ahead of time, which you would rather be using. Do you want to be using the weaker spell? Are you going to use it just very rarely? Do you want to use it all the time? Um, is it going to get in the way of your other first level spells? So pick your spells carefully. Be able to do... They're very situational and be able to do things in any situation. Um, otherwise, you're going to do the other thing that Bard does so well, and that's support your team by giving inspiration. Um, the thing that I'm thinking about from this question is when he says... What did he say? Something like, I just can't wrap my head around the... Um, like how they're played sort of thing. Yeah, I feel like, so you kind of touched on it a little bit, but, you know, it's, I feel like this this person is probably fairly inexperienced because when they look at the classes, they see, you know, bar, you know fighter, bang, wizard, spell, you know what I mean? They're uh, archer, arrow, like there is no yeah. other, there's no gray area, like everything is extremely black and white. So when they look at a class like bard, they look boring and useless because bard don't smash, bard don't spell, bard don't arrow. You know what I mean? Like it's okay, okay, barbarian. No, <laughs> Hulk smash. Okay. <laughs> um, I, just look at it like a rogue with music. You're a little bit of a cleric in that you support your team through blessed-like spells, where you hand out extra dice that they can use. Um, but you're a lot like a rogue in the fact that you're a jack-of-all-trades and you can add um, additional proficiency bonus to some ability checks you make. So, like, you have a lot of things that you do well. Um, you can also, much like a cleric, you get that song of rest. So you just, you're a little best of both worlds there, except for you're a free thinker. You're, you're more like that rogue loose cannon or loose and wild and free just imagine um your favorite singer they're probably a bard imagine your favorite actor that's probably a bard brad pitt is probably a bard <laughs> he probably is you know or uh morgan freeman another that there's a high level bard but he only does one thing well yeah but he probably has a lot of skills that we don't get to see because we only ever see him doing that one thing so to be an actor, or to be a storyteller, to be a musician, to be an orator, you've got to be pretty savvy. You've got to, you've got to be a people person. And a lot of times those people 
the people person trope um, have a lot of abilities that that they pick up along the way and that's why they do is because they are people person or they are people people they're yes but they also get the cool one of the coolest abilities counter charm that's so cool you you use your musical notes to disrupt mind influencing effects that's so cool like you get all yeah. these cool th- cool things and cutting words in the college of lore like you use your charisma your force of charisma instead of your willpower or your god's will as a cleric and instead of your dexterity as a rogue you use your charisma for everything so um you, if you have more questions about how a bard is played we could do a whole different show about that i could do an entire hour special to just how i like to play a bard and we could talk about um, different types of bards different types of personalities bards can have different types of abilities that you can exploit um, ways to exploit them and combo up there's plenty of that stuff possible in bards just look at your spells look at your abilities and figure out one of my favorites is uh that when a when um uh, no, you know what? I'm not even going to get into it. I'm not even going to get into it because I don't want to go off on that tangent. Because I want, I want to. If I say one thing, I'll say another. So right, that's true. Yeah. Because they're all, it's all impactful. A bard is an entertainer. They're they are that people person trope. They are charismatic and use that force of charisma for not only their own benefit but their group's benefit. Don't let them just be seducers. Don't let them just be womanizers or trying to have sex with a dragon. All that stupid shit that we read on Facebook or other, you know, joke. Or Reddit. Red or Reddit. <laughs> I bet they do say that on Reddit. I don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't like that. I don't like. No. Those. I think you. Na- I think you nailed it. Like I feel like, like that Brad Pitt character, that 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 musician, that actor. Like that's the bard. Yes. You know, like that. Yeah, I that's feel like that's a modern day bard. Yeah, I think I that's a perfect. I am probably a modern day bard. Right. So there you go, man. Good Jim, gosh, I'm so sorry, dude. I completely forgot. But this is, God, this is the last question. Last question. Make it a multi-parter, then. You know what? It's almost like I sent these to you beforehand, but that's exactly what this is. This is a big old question. Ugh. This is a big. Looking for boy, to. a big Bertha of a question. Big so we're gonna take Bertha. it. We're gonna take it one by one because um, there's actually only two. Okay. So this comes from uh, Reddit user Hannah Arashia. Hannah Arashia. God, I'm so sorry. Butcher. <laughs> it's just Hannah. Constantly apologizing Hannah. for Hannah. Hannah Arashia. Arashia. How's right. How's Hannah spelled? Um, let's not get into it. No, well, right. I mean, that might tell us if it's a... Well, it might not tell us anything. Go ahead. It's not going to tell us anything, Jim. All right. Here's well, let's the just say bolded, how it's said. Here's the bolded portion of the question. Swapping right. weapons, any opinions? Here's the unbolded section. So they know how to use Reddit. I'm thinking to tell my players that swapping costs no actions. I've seen this in the player's handbook saying cheating or drawing a sword... Uh, is free. I'm seeing a lot of starting equipment in the classes, though, like Barbarian and Warlock. Uh, three out of four of my group are. Uh, so a lot of weapons to jungle uh, to juggle. The first game for me, the three out of the four players, so I'd like to keep it as easy as possible without making it stupid. 
making it stupid? I don't know. So swapping weapons. Okay. This is this can be a hot topic actually. Do you have do you have any opinions? Jeff? I do have opinions. Okay. I absolutely have opinions. And because that I'm, was the second part of the question. I don't like to fool with it. <laughs> um, I don't I don't think that it's that big a deal. I think this is a fantasy game. Now, it can be a big deal for some people who you know they don't want it because I think there's even a feat that says you can do this and you're making that feat uh, less potent. If you say, yeah, you can just swap weapons around for free, then it's like, well, why take this feat? And I can't remember what that feat is called, but I think it's a kind of... It's low, isn't it? I thought it was a pretty low-level feat. Uh, well, all the feats are 4th level, 8th level, when you like when you get them all at the same time. Right. Um, so, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't think it's worth talking about, because there's so much other things, other stuff going on that... If it's if it makes sense, let it happen. If they're talking about like I want to draw and like, oh, oh I have this like repeating crossbow that I want to pull out after I've attacked, you know I got this sword that I was using and I want to pull a repeating crossbow. That might be a little bit of a stretch. So I I don't know. I think that that's the only time that I would even think about it. And to be honest, I don't. I, I don't enforce it in my game. Um, so we've talked about, because another DM asked me this not long ago, we've talked about making it to where it costs you a piece of your movement, like getting up. And I, I have okay. not, yeah. That's going to be something to satisfy everyone um, because there should be um, a be-all, end-all ruling on it. What we're going to do in our games is make it so that it's just like getting up where you use 15 feet or 10 feet of your movement. Getting up is 15. I'm thinking about making it cost 10 or exactly the same as getting up to 15. Right. That's the way I'm going to treat it in my game because I can I believe that yes, while drawing or sheathing a weapon is an action that's basically free, you can do it while you move, I, th I believe the book says. Um, or I may have just read that somewhere that I can't remember. But... Um, you can't do it twice. You don't get that action twice. So I, I feel like we ran into something similar because you mentioned like uh, the game that the, like with a bunch of um, first-time players. We had a situation where I think you had mentioned it, where it was it made more sense to drop the weapon, yes, and do something rather than put the weapon away or something or. Because the what was that situation? Yeah, the constraints of the game say that you can either draw or sheath, not draw and sheath. So, the the get around, the workaround for that is just dropping drop it, and then, because that costs yeah. nothing. Right. Like you just let go. Now all you have to do is draw a weapon, which you can do during your turn anyway. Right. So, and that just makes for if you do it that way, it makes for interesting, um, interesting drops. Am I going to drop my sword if I'm standing in three feet of running water and I'm going to be moving around after that? Will it be difficult to find my sword if I do drop it that way? Right. You know, there, that can be, or if I'm standing next to a cliff, if I drop it, is there a chance I drop it off the cliff? Man, that's so shitty though. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause it, it sounds like, like the player is just trying to be. Like, oh, I attack with my sword and I miss and my enemy turns away and runs and I can't catch him. So I want to draw my crossbow and see if I can hit them instead. 
Like that's what the that's what the situation sounds like to me. And I was like, well, that, and to me, when I DM, the first thing I think is that sounds fantastic. Let's do that. Like let's not worry about swapping weapons. Let's not worry about actions. Let's just see if this happens. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, because that seems like such a cool story beat that that is what's more important rather than the actual math when it comes to the rules. Uh, yeah, but the rules are there for a reason, so that people don't get no, away Jim, with, no. with doing stupid shit or what what have you. Well, right, it has to so, be police, like anything else. And that's why I introduced my rule, um, because I don't want to force a player to drop their sword into a river or off of a cliff just so that they can get that extra attack off. Here's the thing: if you're changing weapons, more than likely one of those weapons is inferior to the other when in your hands. Right. So I don't put all of my abilities and feats and fighting styles into two weapons. I put them into one. That way I'm amazing with that weapon. So if I'm drawing a bow, chances are I'm either shitty with one or the other. I'm probably shitty with that bow. And I'm just pulling it out because the thing got away from me and I got nothing better to do. Right. Why not, man? Why not allow somebody yeah, to draw it, it and, yeah. and and take a shot? Yeah. Because it's probably going to be lackluster anyway, but you're giving them something that they can do. So right. don't be because too I, much it, of a rules lawyer on that. I agree with you. That's why we're, like I said, we have my optional rule that we're implementing. Like all I'm doing standing here, and that's basically what, it, what normally happens is I'm going from my sword to a bow because I just killed the thing in front of me. And this other thing is running away. That's right. probably seven out of ten times the reason that this question gets asked. Right. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, I feel like it's... Like you were saying, it's probably non, non-consequential at the end of the day. Because even if you hit... Like, unless if you crit, you're probably not going to take the thing down anyway. But it, well, again, maybe, it's just something not. for your player to do. Every situation is going to be different. Yeah. And... Um, I'm I'm in favor of fun for the player. I agree. We're always on the side of fun. Not just for the player, but for everyone. For everybody. All right, the second part of this question, here's the bolded section. Time management in combat, any rule of thumb. If a barbarian uses rage, it lasts for one minute. One turn is six seconds, so it's like ten turns. If there are a lot of little enemies, that this could mean it usually is only usable one time actually worried about one room in the first goblin den with goblins plus six chain npc chained npc in it oh that's that's i should have read this beforehand again adding four players i don't understand what's going on (laughs) i I understood you to a point but man then it just fell apart well english may not be their first language oh that's Um, true i'm adding four players in one round use of rage maybe the npc doesn't have to roll for initiative but i like the idea to make him kick the guard goblin and give advantage on the goblin to show the mechanic to my new players all right so that's like a this second part part is like a power packed misunderstanding so okay so the first part is like if if a player casts rage and it only lasts for a single round, but it goes for ten because it lasts for a minute, yeah, I that's mean, good. Math. I feel like that's I feel like that's on the player. What's I don't understand the question that's being asked about that. Yes, your math is correct. It's well, going to last so for ten rounds. It, 
Right. So it's wasted because they only get to use it once. They don't get to use it on multiple enemies because there's not enough enemies oh. to tear through. Well, that's the idea of rage that you don't do it all the time. It's just like having a spell that you can only cast once per day because we don't want right. you doing it every single time. And that's how rages. You get so many rages per day. And that's why, because we don't want you using it every single time and every single encounter, every single, every single encounter. enemy right. you get rage against. Because that doesn't mean that you have resources to manage. So right. if you're going against six goblins, yeah, you're right. Two rounds, this is over. And if you're going to give advantage with an NPC that's going to kick a goblin's leg out from under him and give that guy advantage, it's going to be even quicker. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like if if it wasn't a new player, like this is the perfect opportunity to be like, this is not a time you use rage. Like not on these little peons. Are you, you use sure it on the guy who's in the room? Rage. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> You're more we, than welcome we, to. But pay attention. You remember when we faced one of these guys? He got cut down by a piece of paper. So using rage on this yeah. might be a, a little overkill. Yeah, your wizard fell and the scroll hit him and he got paper cut and died. So yeah, yeah. you may not want to rage. Trust me when I say, you know, and that's as a DM, you're allowed to do that. You can step up and say to the player, hey, this is how I like to do things. And it's the same if I'm playing a board game or a card game. If I'm teaching you how to play, and especially in D&D, it's not me versus you. It's not player versus player or DM versus player or any of that. It's us creating this fun story together. And I'm rooting for you to have a good time. And if you like killing things, that's your good time. Then I'm going to make sure you got plenty of things to kill, son. But I think this question kind of opens to a more broader, um, a more interesting question, which is the time management of, a, of combat. Because um, I can say that I've had instances where it's like I spent all this time um, thinking of this cool combat and working it through to make sure that it's, you know, not long, but of length to make it feel mm -hmm. epic yeah. and then the group just tears through them what would you recommend in terms of ways of like when something like that is happening to kind of pad it to manage it you correct mean? um what i like to do especially for new players like i have these laminated index cards where i wrote down effects such as i got i have a couple of them right here deafened poisoned paralyzed, grappled, restrained. And what I like to do is give them also a wet erase marker and say, when it's your turn, put down a hash mark because it's only going to last a certain amount of time. And if it's new player, I'm going to tell them exactly how long that's going to be. If it's not, I don't like to give that away because you don't know how long an effect is going to last necessarily. Um, if right. we're, if we're trying to be immersive, it depends. Some people play it like a board game and it's like, well, I know because it only lasts this length of time that this is what I need to, whatever. Um, I had to read the rules. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a lot of my players prefer to go on the immersion end. I don't think they even want to know. They just, you know, we want to get through this story as, um, gracefully and in character as possible. So a great way to do it is put a hash mark every time it's your turn and say, this is my third round of being dazed or this is my third round of rage that way you and all the rest of the players know and the dm you're keeping track and so you can write that down on your character sheet if you don't want to do um you know these cards where you can fill in 
that you're deafened at the top, you can have several effects on it that you fill in and say, oh, well, I'm going to write down in this spot, in this effect spot, deafened. And then I'll put a hash mark because it's my first round being deafened. You know, and then the next to it, maybe I'm, uh, I'm raged. I put rage there and put a hash mark every round that comes around. That way I know and the DM knows. The DM can be like, oh, that's your third round. It goes away. Or you know that that rage lasts 10 rounds, that you know that you have to end it after the 10th round. Right. So that's the easiest way is to put those little hash marks and label it. And you can always erase it later or, you know, throw that little index card that you've kept just for this purpose. You just throw it away or, you know, reuse it. I don't care. He doesn't care. I don't. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D&D 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.